we are actually in one of the most significant chapters, not only in Second Samuel, but in all of the Bible. You know, every once in a while we come across... Well, it, uh, it's a big star, you know, you put a star by this chapter. Matter of fact, it seems like every chapter that you hit, there's something that is really key or something that you're all familiar with, right? This one really is because, as you can see by the uh, title that we're giving it tonight, is the uh, Davidic Covenant, which um, is quite significant, wouldn't you say? This is God's covenant with, uh, with David through Nathan the prophet. But before that covenant is promised by God, David has his own plan. And God tells him, I've got something a lot better than what you're thinking of. (laughs) Dealing with the uh, temple. Everybody knows about David wanting to build a temple for God because the ark that we looked at last week, they brought it to Jerusalem. The ark is in a tent. It's in a tabernacle. Well, it's in Jerusalem in a tent. It's always been in a tent. David says we need to build a house for it. God has a different plan in a different way. uh, Something really much, much, much better. And uh, that's what we're going to get into tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are, what you do for us, how you guide and direct us. Thank you for this section of Scripture that is about the promise that God has to David. And David being the king that he is, and of course there will be descendants after him, after um, David, in the line of David. And it's all pointing to the ultimate king of kings. That's the Messiah. He is the true king. David's a picture of the king, but ultimately Messiah. As Christ comes back, in the second coming is whenever that will be revealed in its totality. And Lord, this is a great promise because David not only knows that there are going to be descendants after him that will be king, the one who is the true king is the star of this chapter as well as the whole Bible. May we uh, honor you tonight as we uh, read your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the first three verses, David has a plan. And uh, matter of fact, when you have a plan, usually it has to be approved. If you do any state work, that's exactly what happens. Whatever you do has to be approved. Did you ever have that happen, Penny? Yeah, any kind of reports, any kind of paperwork, it always has to be approved. Well, David has the plans here. And the prophet, Nathan, is going to approve. There's going to be a little problem with that with those two guys, though. So we read in verse 1, Now it came about when the king... Did you notice that? Lived in his house. And the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies. 
that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within tent curtains. Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. It's a first section. David's plan. Nathan the prophet approves. So here we are. It's a, a word there that sticks out. You'll notice that I kind of emphasized it three times there. Did you notice that? King. David is definitely recognizing that he is the king. Of course, it says here when the king lived, the king said to Nathan, Nathan said to the king, he's being reminded all along here by Nathan that he's a king. I think God has shown that he is the king. Nothing wrong with that. Um, I will tell you, it's kind of interesting. You're probably wondering when this happened. Some would say, well, it happened right after the uh, ark was brought to Jerusalem, which does make sense. I could be wrong, but I'm proposing something different. It's in his last ten years. And that's pretty significant. It's kind of interesting. Um, He reigned how many years? Forty years. It's in his last 10 years, it's something like he's already reigned 30 years when all of this is going to happen now, or he wants to happen. You'll notice that it says in verse 1, the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies. That took quite some time because he uh, had several battles and wars against the enemies all around. The whole time that he was king, he did battle. He went to war. Finally, it seemed like there had been some peace and we need to build a house. The reason I say this is the last ten years is that, do you remember Hiram? Hiram is one that we read about back in chapter 5. He is the one who built David's house. You know, the cedar from, uh, you think of Lebanon or uh, Tyre, Hiram of Tyre, right? Uh, He was the king of Tyre in around 980 B.C., this one who is king here at this time. And it's very possible is what this means is all of these events uh, don't have to be chronological right after chapter after chapter It can be later on in David's life is when this happens. Just want to throw it out there. Um, David conquered all the nations that were around, and I think that's fascinating. Uh, So uh, I think you could say in chapter uh, 8, I think we get details. But it might be that maybe those occurred before chapter 7. So I'm just going to throw that out there too. It's kind of uh, works in your mind. But uh, at any rate, it seems appropriate for the ark to be put in a house. 
it seems inappropriate to be in a tent. Now, how could this idea that David has be wrong? I mean, this should come up in almost anybody's minds that the Lord is God. I'm living in this mansion here, and there's the ark in a tent. Both David and Nathan seem really not to really consult with the Lord here about this. We don't see that they go to the Lord and pray. I mean, it seems right for David to do this. And if I'm the prophet Nathan, I'd probably say, well, you know, you thought of it. I think it's a great idea. Do it. Matter of fact, sometimes people in in the church will come up with an idea thinking, I'm going to go ahead and do it. Um, I'm just a pastor, which really means a shepherd, which means I'm a shepherd of the... A shepherd's job is really a, a very humble job. It is not an elite job um, in in the sense... I mean, it's it's the greatest thing in the world to be, but at the same time, it's not really highly exalted. It's not meant to be that way. But, you know, if somebody has a gift and they come up with an idea, you know what I usually say? Go do it. If the Lord has led you here and you've prayed about it and you're to do that, then go do it. I think that's a super idea. But a lot of people think that I need to do everything because I'm the pastor here. Actually, you know, you want to have elders and then you want to have people that are all involved. We're not just a one-man thing here. And if that's what it is, we are definitely wrong. That's not right. Um, and, And I pray that it's not that way, but that's why I say it's kind of interesting when down through the years I've had so many people come up with ideas for me to do because it would be it sounds like a good idea I'm thinking well if you've got that idea I never thought of that I think it's great why don't you do it make sure you pray to the Lord about it you know right I mean anything you do check, check the Lord out so anyway but you know if something seems right it's like well yeah good probably we could pray about things for a long time night after night and it seems right We go ahead and do it, and it seems like, boom, we get slapped in the face. It seemed right to do it, and it really maybe not have been the right thing to do. Not always is what we think is right. Not always do what we think is wrong, wrong. But uh, to be led by the Lord is what we really want. We seek after that. Well, maybe if... Praying to the Lord, and you've got good guidance, and you do it, and it falls apart. Maybe that was what was supposed to happen. Maybe there's a lesson to learn out of it. <laughs> yeah, it, and it can very well do that, can't it? Exactly. Yeah. What if you uh, are you supposed to witness and lead somebody to the Lord, uh, invite them to church? Yeah. Okay. They make a profession of faith. They come to church. They go for a few months. They find out that it's rather boring there. There's nothing happening, nothing there for them. I don't get anything out of it. And you don't see them anymore. You guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? How many times has that happened? What's that? Now they don't talk to you anymore. Yeah, right. Exactly. And you go, well, that was the right thing to do, right? (laughs) Yeah, it was. But it didn't happen. And you'd think, 
Lord, you know, I, I prayed about that for salvation and everything. And maybe maybe they are saved, you don't know. But they never show any fruit. But the thing is, is sometimes we just don't know. But you do what you know to be right. And we know that it's God's desire for us to show Christ to people. Isn't it? So how can you be wrong in that? Well, you can't. But it's not always going to turn out the way that you would think would be the way it's supposed to be. And it may not happen that time. It may not happen Mm -hmm. five years later. And they'll say, there was somebody that told me. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. You got it. That's right. I'm not going to run roughshod over David and Nathan here, but I'm just saying we we do these kind of things too. Sometimes that sounds like a great idea, you know. And it's like I never even went to the Lord about it. It just sounded naturally right, which it probably was. What was the motive behind it? Well. It's for the glory of the Lord. It's for the church and that kind of thing. But what if God doesn't have that in mind? Well, yeah. Okay, well, David's plan. It's been approved. you got the king and the prophet. How can anything go wrong? (laughs) So we have a vision and a revision Verse 4, But on the same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Thus saith the Lord, Ooh, this is the word of God. Are you the one who should build me a house to dwell in? Boy, those are some words, aren't they? For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent, even in a tabernacle. That's what a tabernacle means, Tim. Wherever I have gone with all the sons of Israel, did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel, which I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Stop there for a moment. Nathan and David are put in their place here. It's like, okay, Nathan, you hear this and you tell it to the servant. Did you catch that? David. We saw in the first three verses, king, three times. He is the king. But the king kind of wants to help God to get a house. <laughs> Who are you? Who do you think you are to build me a house? Did I tell you to do that? Boy, how would you like to stand before the Lord? And he said, Where did you get that idea? What are you doing? No, God said that to me before. (laughs) Has He done that before? (laughs) Uh, He could be doing that, couldn't He? What are you thinking? What are you thinking? (laughs) Who are you? 
I think he probably is. Yeah, he's going. Oh, Not Our grand human plans that we have to do something for God after nights of prayer, and then it doesn't turn out that way. Huh. Identify with that. God showed Nathan that David's building plans for God would interfere with God's building plans for David. Did you get that? Um, David is kind of interfering with what God has in mind. David is interfering with God. Go to Acts chapter 7 where you have a great message of Stephen just before he is stoned to death. And in Acts 7, 44 through 50, this is about God's true tabernacle. Our fathers had the tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness. Just as he spoke to Moses, directed him. Now catch this. He directed him to make it according to the pattern which he had seen. And having received it in their turn, our fathers brought it in with Joshua upon dispossessing the nations whom God drove out before our fathers until the time of David. David found favor in God's sight and asked that he might find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place is there for my repose? Was it not my hand which made all these things? My hand. My tabernacle. Now, it gave them something physical, like a tabernacle, the instructions to build. They were to build it, but he told them how to do it, how to take care of it, how to transport it. We ran into that story last week, didn't we? The transporting of the ark. He had already given them instructions on that, and it was to be in a tabernacle. Did he ever ask or tell the children of Israel to build him a permanent house? No. Did they ever ask him? No. Because they had the instructions. David does ask. I feel guilty. I think I would have felt like David. Because that seems right. But God had given instructions. Now it's interesting, after uh, his son comes, he winds up giving them, a, you know, telling them to build a house, build a, the temple. It's kind of like they wanted the king they wanted a king, Israel did. He winds up giving them a king. The first one wasn't right. 
The second was, and I think ultimately, you know, he's he was going to give them a king out of his grace and favor because it's a great promise to looking forward to the Messiah. And that's what it's all pointing about. God is so good and, you know, it's their idea of having that, but he doesn't live in that. He just made it for the tabernacle, but it is nice to have a grand temple like all the other nations. And it's something to brag about, boast about, look great. Especially by the time that uh, Jesus comes on the scene as the Messiah and you have one of the wonders of the world that uh, Herod built. All the gold and the marble and the sun would hit that place and it would gleam. It was just tremendous. But you see, God doesn't operate that way. Okay, but... It was also a meeting place, like a church, so the people right. could go and worship together. Right. And so, I mean... And he winds up giving that to them. Mm-hmm. And who knows, he might have given the command later. But this is part of his plan, though, isn't it? And, like I said, I'm not here to lambast David and Nathan because who am I to do that to these guys? I'm thinking the same thing. I get a feeling all of you guys are too. But Is there anything wrong with that thought? You have to ask God, why do I have a home? That's all you should ask. Yeah. Yeah. Requiring the third person. Hey, I think we ought to do this. Yeah. What do you think, Nathan? Go hey, go for, go for it. it. You thought of it. Yeah. Your idea, yeah. Go ahead and do it. Why David didn't ask God? But if he wanted, huh? I mean, David should have asked God if he wanted. Maybe it was going to be a surprise. You ruined my surprise. Surprise, God. Obviously, he doesn't like. He doesn't take advantage of those surprises. We notice David has a prophet, and the prophet is the one hearing the voice of the Lord. And so up here. He doesn't feel too comfortable whenever the Lord's telling him this because what he's saying, what are you doing, Nathan? What are you doing telling him? Sure, it's okay. Go ahead. It's a good thing. Why didn't you consult me? That's kind of the idea there. Anyway, God never asked for a temple. We know that. Here it is. It's like chapter, what? Chapter 6 all over again with with the ark, which seemed like a good idea. That's the problem. When we think... And we're not thinking with the truth of God and, and really pursuing Him. Yeah, I know. It's, that's tough. It really is. <coughs> yeah. So far, His commands were build me a tabernacle, which they did. They constructed it the way that He said. They moved it the way that He said till David's time. And they cared for it the way that He said. And it's never changed. And it's funny that he comes up with this idea. Well, I think because he's living in this palace. Well, you know, I, mean, I can see him just sitting there being really grateful that he's got this awesome palace and all his enemies are subdued and he's just languishing there and it's so nice. And, and then feeling a little guilty because God's over there in a tent. So that's when you ask God. <laughs> yeah. God, are yeah. you over there in the tent? I think I'll build God a 
nice place like mine. And and really, I think that's the idea because he needs to be reminded. He needs to be humbled, and he is a very humble man. David is one of the most humble. Moses was the humblest of all. But we see sometimes they get a little high-minded, don't they? And God has to kind of bring them down a little bit, and He does it so graciously. He really, as we go through this chapter, we see the graciousness. But I think He gets their attention the way that He says it. <laughs> Who are you? What are you talking about? Where'd you get that? Um, you've probably had professors or teachers like that that are really good teachers, and you come up with you know something or or you know not necessarily teachers or somebody you know. And, they just they just come back with or even bosses you know maybe been like that and they come back with what you expected to be good thinking I like that idea and they rip into you you go wow or maybe I've done that to somebody oh yeah right but you missed the point. Of the yeah. passage. Yeah. Whoa. I used, to, yeah, I used to do that in our psychology. I had absolutely no finesse at all. They would say something stupid and they would just come out, boy, that's really stupid. Oh, that's good, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what I see here, God. You know, I really. <laughs> Only God does it so much nicer. <laughs> Well, yeah. we are learning stuff here tonight, aren't we? <laughs> well, God reminds David who's taking care of whom. <laughs> he does that, doesn't he? God took David out of the pasture and He gave him the enemies into His hands to defeat. He wasn't David doing this. It was God working in him because God had the man that he wanted to. But he had to keep teaching him lessons because David didn't have it together and neither we do, do we? Well, the flesh started, like you said back in the line, that he was able to rest. And what we can do with our rest is our ideas start popping up in our head. Well, let's go to verse 8 through 10 here. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, a shepherd boy. Shepherds are lowly, very humble from following the sheep to be ruler over my people Israel. He said, I took you from there. God did that. Verse 9, I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. I just gave them to you. And I will make you... Now, here's what I've done... Here's what I'm going to do. After he got their, gets their attention, God then starts telling him what he's done for David and what he's going to do. Boy, is this the mercy and grace and the love of God. 
And this is for all of us here because it's pointing to the Messiah and it's pointing all the way to the second coming. It's pointing to Revelation 19 when the King comes. Today I have begotten thee. Whenever He comes back, He's going to show that He is the King, folks. So here it is. I will make your uh, name great like the names of the great men who are on the earth. Uh, Everybody's heard of King David. Believers, unbelievers, Hebrews, Christians, Muslims. Uh, All over the world, even today, uh, most people have heard of King David somehow. That's very true. And he was a great king. He was the best king. I think he was the best king of them all. His son was the most wise king for a while. I don't think he was better than David. Uh, But, as we see, verse 10, I will also, I will also appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again, nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly. Now, in this prophecy, you have to remember in prophecy, so often we see the near and the far. And that's what you're going to see. You're going to see, well, what about the people there? It says that uh, they'll never be bothered anymore. And he's going to plant them in that. Well, during the time of Solomon, it was very much a time of peace. It was a picture of what it is to have a peaceful kingdom and no wars. And that's what Solomon got. All during his time, there was no war. It was peace. It was beautiful. His name means peace. Solomon. Shalom. Wow. All that was was pointing to the time of a millennial kingdom with Christ on earth. Now, that was a picture of the future, but it was also, uh, how can you say it, in the very almost present time, shortly they would experience this somewhat in the very near future. It's like seeing a mountain. And you see that mountain, and you don't see the mountains behind it. But if you were to get on top of that mountain, all of a sudden you would see higher mountains that are further away. You've been to those places, Colorado, Arizona, California, definitely not in Michigan, but <laughs> Kansas. <laughs> so, except till you get up there north and then west, then you have the mountains. Most of Arizona is just yeah, it's just desert area and flat. I pretty flat What's that? Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's flatter than Michigan, I think. I think it is. When yeah. you go through there, that's all you see is flat and farmland. And if you saw a hill, you're probably not even going to see a hill behind it because there's nothing there. It's just one hill. There are hills there. Far away. There are hills, but they're junk. So. Um, You know what he's saying in that section there in verse 10? David, you've not seen anything yet. The best is yet to come. God gave everything that David had. It was all given by God. By the way, 
That's what happens to us. Everything that we have has been given to us by God. Whether we know it or not, how good He has been. Well, I remember David saying something about, oh, I think he was talking to Saul when he said he was going to kill Goliath because uh, he killed the bear and he killed the lion when he was tending the sheep and stuff. I wonder if here he's, when God says, I did that. <laughs> yeah. I wonder, you know, because I've, I had times when I look back in my past and I say, oh, God did that. That wasn't me. Oh, sure? and I'm just, I get I'm just reading this and I'm thinking, and, and he, say, he says, you know, I took you out of this, you know, being a shepherd. And I wonder if David mm. thought about those things. You know, I think that's just too simple, Penny. <laughs> just too simple. How is it that we forget that in our own minds. Or, or never consider it. And we know that God does. Don't we know? Don't we all know that God does it all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet? <laughs> he doesn't like those self-made people. Well, I just, all. you know, yeah. I look back and I think, how could I not know God did that? <laughs> sometimes he lets us do that for a season, is to build a little confidence in us. Then he has to really remind us of who's really doing what. I think it comes like when you're raising your kids. Yeah. I think there's a time you really think you're doing something. Yeah. So sometimes you just back off and let them go ahead. Well, I mean, no. You know, when, when, as, parents, as a teaching tool. As a parent, I think we go ahead. We think we're raising our kids. Yeah, we think we're. Oh, okay. We. We think. Yeah, we, okay. think we think. We think. Boy, I did. I get got it right that time, yeah, didn't I? Did what? Get that child is <laughs> I was good. For it yeah. That's because you're your yeah. father or your mother's child, yeah. you know, in the back. We kind of play that, but then all of a sudden they grow up as adults, and we kind of go, "No, I didn't do that." <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, but he lets us go through times of. Uh, Clouded or glazed over with rose-colored glasses or something that we think we are for a while, for a little confidence. I, just, I was just looking at that and thinking, I wonder if he thought back at the, those times and said, Oh, God did that. That's how I got that. There. wasn't me. <laughs> Even David. Yeah. And, of course, yeah, he did it, but God was working in him. We could never do anything. We are nothing without without Christ. Uh, so what he does in 11 through 17 now, he gives the details for the house. Remember, David was his house. God gives him a different view of another house. So let's read that. Um, Even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel... And I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. (laughs) Here we go, folks. This is the Davidic covenant. Right here is where we're at. Here in verse 12, this is the heart of the Davidic covenant. And it is a major passage. We probably read it who knows, a thousand times in our studies down through the years and coming from different passages. It's quoted or referred to in so many uh, passages, and especially the New Testament. 
And um, this is major. We'll read it here. When your days... Did I, did I read that, uh, declares the Lord, that it will make a house for you? Yeah. When your days are complete, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, when I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Now, do you see that here's a prophecy that is near and it's far because he's talking about his son sinning. Well, that can't be God's son, Jesus, or the you know the Son of God, uh, the Messiah. But it, there, it would be speaking of the promise of David's descendant, his son Solomon, who will you know he will still commit iniquity, and um, you'll be. Uh, here it is, when he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men. Right? God will discipline him. And he did. Solomon was disciplined. As you remember, he got into all sorts of things. And if you read Ecclesiastes, uh, you remember that he tried everything under the sun. He did alcohol. He did drugs. He did women. He owned all the gardens. He owned the horses. He owned all the land. He had all the wisdom. All the kings of the world came to him. I mean, he did everything. If anybody had lived a complete life, it had to be Solomon. And he came to the conclusion, it's nothing. It's vanity. It's empty. It's Zippo without God. And so for several years, he must have done all those things without God. And... That was iniquity, wasn't it? God let him go to that point. And at the end of Ecclesiastes, we see that he came to the conclusion which was correct. So people that go out and try to do drugs and alcohol and all the fun that they can get and the zest and everything that they ever want to do, if it's without God, it's absolutely worthless. And that's what many people say whenever they've come to Christ late in life after they've done it all. And they go, you know, that, that, was, that was zero. It meant nothing. People have won Super Bowl trophies. And after it's all said and done, they go, is that it? This is not what I was looking for. And they'll say, that really meant nothing to me. I finally got what I wanted all my life. And it, it was, it, it, they felt empty. They're making millions of dollars a year 
multi-millions. And it doesn't please them. It's only God. It's only Christ. And so, there we go. There's a very special Son that is going to come. And it's really the Son of David. He's promising that His his kingship will go on. There will be a line of David. That's quite a blessing there. See, Saul, it didn't happen. Unlike Saul, Saul did not have a dynasty. It stopped right there. It was taken away and David's house will be a dynasty all the way to the Messiah. Now we know they were defeated by Babylon. Kings were came to their end at that time. But actually that line of Judah that extended on through, we see actually that it is true and it will be forever. It will be through eternity and it's in the person of, of Christ. And that's really what it's really pointing to here. Ultimately, although David uh, is the king and he ha- the son of David is known as Messiah, was considered the son of David. He came through that line. Uh, it is in this Son, though the Messiah, that all the hopes are fulfilled. David has promised descendants after him. But there's one. Remember the Abrahamic covenant? Descendants after Abraham. Look at the sand on the seashore. You know, Look at the stars in the sky. Count them if you can. You can't. What's well, like saying, this is... They're going to be the descendants. It's going to be tremendous how many are going to come from you. And he's speaking not only physically, you know, a nation, but really even more so of what? The spiritual descendants of Abraham, the sons of faith. Abraham had faith. Anybody who has faith in the Messiah or Christ is a son of Abraham, a son of God. So, uh, descendants, ultimately, a unique relationship with God is what they would have. We are considered to be sons of God, sons of Abraham in that sense. We get to get in on that promise that God gave to Abraham. So, this covenant here is incredibly special. Um, You know, the essence of the Davidic covenant, though, is... It's in the Son of God, the Son of David. It's pointed out here. Our hopes are fulfilled. That's why this has great meaning. And all through the Old Testament, this is why the people had hope. And uh, David is told something special, isn't it? It's coming through you. It wasn't Saul because I didn't choose him to be the one. You're the one. I let the people have it. They had a very bad king, didn't they? Here's what I'm I'm giving you a a, a king, but it's really pointing to really the real king. You don't have to have a king. I'm your king. But to have a picture here, and he is a man of great leadership, a great musician, a great writer, a great statesman. This David was so gifted by God. And... uh, I think in the kingdom, in the millennial kingdom, he will play a very special role in that kingdom. This David. You watch. You wait. You're going to see it. Well, in verses 18 through 29, 
Did you notice that? Did you notice? I will do that. I will establish. You knew that, right? Do you see the major highlight here in this chapter that I was talking about? Uh, oh, by the way, covenants. You get the Noahic covenant, where God made a covenant with Noah that He'd never flood the earth again. He made a you know the promise. The rainbow was a guarantee. Uh, Abrahamic covenant. Uh, it was uh, what was known as uh, a covenant that is no matter what you do, uh, it is going to come about no matter what. And that's always great to know. It's, it's a covenant that is good forever. It's eternal. And there's also a, a priestly covenant uh, there's the new covenant that's found in Jeremiah 31, uh, Ezekiel 36, 37. Uh, a new covenant is really the Messiah, isn't it? It takes all those covenants and brings them out. It, you notice the Bible just expands. <clears throat> you only have so much in the Noahic covenant. But you get something about God, and you get a lot about it through Abraham about the land and those promises physically, but it'll extend much further than that. And people of faith will be of Him. And then you get this Davidic covenant. We got that uh, the priestly covenant in Numbers, which Christ is really the ultimate priest, isn't He? And the new covenant, it's accomplished by the death and resurrection of Christ. That's why all of this is important. I shall build a house for my name. I'm going to establish his kingdom, right? I'll establish the throne of his kingdom. A house for my name. The house of David. The house of the Messiah, ultimately. And he says, 14, I'll be a father to him and he will be a son to me. That's for both, right? Messiah and then Solomon. Here's Solomon. When he commits iniquity, I'll correct him. Sure, in the Messiah with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my. Uh, is that Christ with the sons of the stroke of the sons of men? Would that be. Because it was with the rod of men, it seems like he would do that with. Um, but I wouldn't think that would happen with Solomon with the stroke of the sons of men. I, I, uh, yeah. I think it might be I, I don't know if that's definitely the, or, or, you know, God says I'll correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. I mean, he can be, can be corrected by, you know, even people. You know, you know the sons of, uh, of men. And, yeah. There, God does that, and then also, you know, people, and it, it happened. You know, to any anybody we look in your characters. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him. As I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. He says, no matter what, I'm making a covenant, and this will never be removed from David. Now, David did something uh, later on where he had much pride in, I think, his position. And the pride of what had been built up in that kingdom, count the numbers in the army. 
And God did not take kindly to that. He says, don't number it. Because why? Because you're going to have a sense of pride. That's what all men always battle. Even humble David, even humble Moses still have that. Even what, you know, and you know what? Moses didn't get the opportunity to go into the promised land. God killed him before that happened. Why? Because he struck the rock twice. God told him to strike it once. And there we go again with that. God, come on. Moses did it out of anger. He did not listen to God. Strike it once. Do what God says. Anyway, he was punished for that. I don't know how badly he was punished in the sense that he went on to be with the Lord. <laughs> and he didn't have to go out into that wilderness down there and put up with them for 40 more years. Yeah, but that was at the time. That was always the goal. That was always the goal. To the promised land. He looked into the future, though, didn't he? He saw the promised land, which much further than that little land beast they were talking about. He was looking into the ultimate promised land. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Not Saul's, but David's will. Okay, get the get the hint there. 18 through 29. Okay, oh, go ahead. One thing you didn't say. I'll say it. I'll say it somewhere along the line. There's probably plenty of things I did not say. Go ahead. David was going to build God a house. Yep. God turns around and says, I'm going to build you a house. Your yep. house. Right. So, and much more. So, and much more. <laughs> and that ain't even the beginning of what I'm going to do. And he did. And he did. Physically. It's, and David doesn't really get to be a part of it. Solomon does. But David was a man of war. And that's why. He had much blood on his hands. But God made him the warrior to do that. By the way, I forgot to put that in all of his accomplishments too. He's a great warrior, wasn't he? But but yes, he built the house. The house that extends spiritually and even physically with the king, but also the house that David much desired to have. Moses didn't get to experience going into that land, but... And Audrey... Also, yeah, thanks for bringing that out. Because I think in the kingdom that is to come, now David is, you know, obviously, you know, he's going to be uh, one who's going to be raised with a glorified body, like all who have died in Christ. During the tribulation, there's going to be people entering into the kingdom that don't have glorified bodies, as they will not live, or, I mean, if you live a hundred years, it's going to be like you, you know, like an infant, right? Uh, and it talks about if they don't go up to the house of the te- or the temple and worship, I'll bring a curse to them. And that's obviously not heaven, but it's the eternal kingdom, and it's not at any time that's passed before. Um, so, and that's at the time when Christ is ruling and reigning. That's in Zechariah 14. But they won't feel like we do it. I don't care. I would not want to be around that long. I mean, a hundred is nothing. At that time. Yeah, but they're rolling the rain with God. 
But it will be a time without... Well, there will be sin and it will be crushed out. He says, I will rule with a rod of iron. What's that mean? He's going to... As soon as it, it, it... By the way, you know who, who He's going to have be ruling over these people? You ever wondered that? We're going to be ruling over the, the ones that go into the kingdom like with bodies like we do. We are going to make sure that whenever something happens that is sinful... It's stamped out right there. All of a sudden, they come up with the idea of maybe defund the police. And man, you know what we can do? We'll put that out right there. And if they don't listen to us, but we're going to be glorified, you better believe they're going to listen. But we got the king backing us up. Everything that we will do will be perfect. We cannot sin. What a thing that we'll have. And David, I believe... Even though Jesus Christ is the King of Kings there, I think David is like the prince playing a huge role there. And we will be doing what we do in, in, in a little city, a town, or cities. Multiple cities will be ruling and reigning. Okay. Well. No clouds, no hearts. I really don't think. Well, no. The house of David really got me going there because you know what? He will see that, and it will be a physical kingdom temple there at that time because we get the dimensions, everything down to the nth degree of how it's going to be built, how it's going to be done. It's not a spiritual thing; it is physical. And you can say, "Well, I thought there was no." I thought there was no temple in the in heaven, and that's absolutely right because there is an eternal state where Christ, God, that's that's the temple. There's no there's no need for the Son because He is the Son. Uh, you know, finally we'll get it. So that we'll temple you're talking about the thousand years, thousand year kingdom, I... millennial kingdom, yeah. yeah. And it's all right for us for a thousand years because we, every day will be perfect. Yeah, that'll, that'll be, but I don't want to go in as a me. Like that. Oh, well, you have to be glorified. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't want to just go in and we get caught hundreds of years. And, yeah. We get caught up in the world and it's the yeah. ones that are left to go Yeah. Okay. Here we go. We're going to finish this. And as I might make a comment here and there, but I want you to notice the deal about king, and then I want you to notice about servant, and I want to I want you to notice about praise. By the way, we've had two verses of David's desire to be building the house. We have one verse where you have Nathan hastily making a decision, and then four through seventeen is a vision that is received. And the last 12 verses is David. And David, we will notice, has his house in order. (laughs) Because this is praise. I mean, this is nothing but pure praise. This is what it's all about. If people can only do this, and do it all the time. Here we go. Then David the king went in and sat before the Lord. That's the key here. And he says, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? 
And yet, this was insignificant in your eyes, O Lord God, for you have spoken also of the house of your servant concerning the distant future. Oh, he's getting it. The Messiah, the true Son. And this is the custom of man, O Lord God. Again, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, for the sake of your word and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness to let your servant know. 18 through 21 is the humility of David. Did you see that? He calls himself servant, he is humbled. And he knows what God has done and what he's going to do. And boy, does he have a right view of God now. For this reason, now uh, in 22 through 24, you're going to have thanks and praise, okay? You are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you, and there is no God beside you. You're the only God. According to all that we have heard with our ears, and what one nation on the earth is like your people Israel, whom God went to redeem, buy out for Himself as a people, and to make a name for Himself, and to do a great Thing for you and awesome things for your land before your people whom you have redeemed for yourself from Egypt, from nations and their gods. For you have established for yourself your people Israel as your own people forever. And you, O Lord, have become their God. So that is thanksgiving and praise for what He's done in the past. Now, in 25 through 29, we get a petition. And this really is how you pray. You pray the Scriptures. You pray for what God has already said. Why would you pray for something that God has already said because you are guaranteed whatever you ask in the Son's name He will grant to you guarantee. Remember those promises? And we've prayed before and never ever gotten what He gave us. What He told us we would get. Well, maybe those things really weren't in Christ's name. Maybe they were good intentions, but it wasn't really what Christ had said for us. Yeah. And that happens all the time. We don't always get what we want, do we? Oh, that came right out of a song. I'm sorry. My goodness. Yeah. But, yes, we get something much better. And remember, who's praying for us? When we say our little faint little prayers, they're mighty and powerful because of the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us and He makes our weak prayers perfect and takes them up to the Father. Romans 8. 
He says the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. So when you pray, you can have all the confidence in God that you need. Because even if we don't say it right, or we're not sure how to say it, or we're not even sure if it's right or not, did you know the Holy Spirit kind of tweaks it? And it goes up to the Father, and the Father is pleased with our prayers. See, we need help in everything, even in our prayers, don't we? Now here we go. And David now is saying something that God has already said. And it's going to be answered. When you do this, it's going to be perfectly answered in the way that God had in mind. Here we go. Look at this. I love this. Now, therefore, because of this, O Lord God, the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and his house, confirm it forever and do as you have spoken that your name may be magnified forever by saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And may the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made a revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer for you. (laughs) I love it. I have courage to say this because you already told me what you're going to do. And I know it's going to be answered forever. Exactly. And this is what God does to us. When we've taken this text, this passage that we've been at tonight, did you know that if we pray some of these things or all those things or what He's wanted us to study here tonight, that it is all good. God had a special meeting with us tonight, folks. It's nothing, anything magical. We come here Tuesday nights. Yes, that's appointed for us to appear before Him and He reveals it in His Word. He he brings it to light. He, He revealed it to the prophet. Now look, I'll build you a house, therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Now, O Lord God, You are God and Your words are truth and You have promised this good thing to Your servant. Now therefore, may it please You to bless this house of your servant, that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing may the house of your servant be blessed forever. That's our prayer, and we say, Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming out tonight.